Wow. <laughs> Amazing. The magic is in the intro. <laughs> Hello. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Heimbach. Good to have you. Good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never been on this podcast, so I can't say my catchphrase, but maybe another time. Yeah, well, I, I'm just uh, sticking with good to have you then. That, I guess that's fine. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I have a little uh, Spätburgunde from my hometown, oh, next oh. to the hometown in uh, <laughs> the Black Forest. Mm. And it uh, takes, oh, takes me back home in the time when we can travel. So that's why I love this. That's a great idea. That's Perfect. a great idea. <clears throat> Cheers or chin chin, how we uh, chin, chin. you say uh, that in uh, Prost. Yeah, Prost, Prost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So people might ask why we have lost the symmetry symmetry this time. Um, my friend Dennis uh, is the <laughs> is the guy who has uh, caused this problem or not a problem. It's not a problem, but uh, you know, he, uh, I'm actually it's quite funny like this. You know, having you uh, in the studio instead of uh, from a distance, but yeah. he lives close by and he had some Wi-Fi problems, so. We thought, okay, let's uh, let's have Dennis over and uh, and do the chat from here. But as uh, OCD as I am, you know, I have to work. I have to get used to three screens instead of four. So, uh, but we'll deal with it. <laughs> and uh, Albert is joining us from Eindhoven. What's up, Albert? Yes. Yeah, doing good. Awesome. Um, are you in your studio or are you different diff in a different location? I'm in my little studio. Yeah. In okay. The center nice of the one. city. Mm. Nice one. Cool, man. Um, so um, I guess the common thing between all of us is that we have, uh, have ex had some experience with using equipment to make music, which was not originally designed to make music with. Um, and it might be a night of talking about that or about something entirely different. But um, I thought it was nice to bring um, all of us together and... Uh, since we have this uh, shared interest. Um, so let's see where we go, where it goes, where the conversation is, uh, will be heading. Um, and for the time now, I think I should do like a little um, housekeeping shout out, because if you're watching this from um, YouTube or Twitch, uh, you can comment in the comment section and we can actually see your comments here. And uh, so if you have anything specific to ask to one of the brains here, um, please do so. And uh, we'll try to, uh, to address your question. Um, so yeah, oh, let's go guys. Um, I must say, um, I feel like a complete amateur looking at uh, Heinbach's uh, situation there. <laughs> the professional streaming dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to look how professional he's, he's even agree. saying hi in the chat too much. <laughs> <laughs> of course, always be with the chat. Hi chat. Yeah. <laughs> Multifunctional. Nice that you're all here. Hi, hi <laughs> so what have I'm, you been up to uh, Heinbach, uh, apart from drinking your favorite red wine? Uh, today I posted a new video about a piece of test equipment and I was just talking in the chat uh, with, um, to, with Gerald Fjord and uh, because I traveled to the States to meet up with Adam Morford in Denver, Colorado. And uh, because you're not allowed to officially play a show unless it's like something that's for non-profit uh, profit and all of that stuff. 
So I didn't bring any instruments because I didn't want any of that hassle. I just ordered some test equipment. I ordered a Tectronics TM500 rack uh, with two, uh, I think, a function generator and a pulse, nee, function generator and a pulse generator. And I ordered the unit I talked about today, which is the Princeton Applied Research CR4, which is one of the most amazing fuzzes, bit crushes that I've ever heard. And I hoped, yeah, maybe we can we can play something. And uh, Gerald was so nice to put up a little show, non-profit, no money, nothing. So don't get, I'm not, I'm not in trouble with the US government for that. But uh, it was a lovely show. And they just played this rack that I basically bought off eBay and rehearsed like two days with Adam and then took that out. And there was really just that, a filter, two function generators and a reverb. And yeah, that was a ton of fun. And yeah, just seeing Gerald the Underfield reminded me of that and that, uh, yeah, you can even do with just a little bit because of the wide range that these instruments have, you can do a whole lot. And for me, it was of course also an exercise in minimalism because every pitch change, everything had to be hands-on and everything was, yeah, it was really like in the margins, in the tiny movements, there was a whole world of sound. But of course, I, w I didn't have to play alone. There was Adam and he played, <laughs> he played many more instruments, percussion, his own build stuff, a tape loop we had spun around. So it wasn't as nerve wracking as it might sound or, or as monotonous as it sounds to just play two function generators and the filter. It was actually mm -hmm. very nice. So, so, yeah. so you, in this case, you had a, a person uh, who owns equipment like that. But how do you do that when, and also a question for Dennis, uh, to be honest, if uh, if you play somewhere, I mean, the thing is with um, even with normal gear with um, uh, synths and drum machines, it's um, sometimes a hassle to travel with your stuff. But if I can imagine, if you use filters that weigh like eight or ten kilos <laughs> each, <laughs> how the hell do you do with that? Because there's no such thing as a, a broadcast or testing equipment uh, rental place in every country or everywhere you go. So how, how do you you just Suffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? Is that it? I mean, how do you? Do well, I bring I, mean, I bring too much gear every time. Mm. Um, I also need like three or four hours to get my set right. So yeah. How do you that, do that, Heinbach? Yeah, do you bring like a? Do you have a small life setup? I actually built one this year, and I wanted to tour with that. I had really, I had. Uh, Tektronix TM500 format. I'm working on a video on that because that just sounds amazing, but it's basically a modular format. It's like modules this this high, but this long. It's <laughs> mm. ridiculous. So I made a little portable <laughs> rack with that. I mean, I can't, and it comes in a portable case that was meant for, yeah, portable sciencing. And <laughs> I, I had beautiful, beautiful stuff in there. And I mean, I can, like, it sounds a bit like. It sounds pretty gorgeous and uh, it's, yeah, that was my life rack supposed to be, uh, that I used with my Seat Lombard and my tape for this year. But of course, yeah, it didn't happen. So I couldn't do that. But one thing that I do, what I, di I did was I, I took all the stuff that I couldn't fit in my studio and then I went to a gallery and put it up there. So I built statues out of my test equipment, three two meter high statues patched them together 
over a course of a week and created a patch and a performance and I played that two times. So that was the way I could avoid <laughs> the stuff that you do, Dennis, where you're taking all your stuff and building yeah. it up and like breaking your back, lifting all that stuff. It's it's yeah. mental. But I, but I could just do that once, take like an uh, an LKV, a, a bus, and then take it there, build it up, have time, make something impressive visually, play that and play for 45 minutes. It was really, really good. And I'm hoping to release uh, yeah, an album with that next year. So that was the way I could get around that but else I'm very much yeah, trying to get that stuff portable and even like something that I could put in a carry-on and that was, the, was that TM500 rack. Mm. Mm -hmm. But then it's also not too heavy because it, I guess this measuring equipment is heavier than normal gear. So could, did you manage to get it under the carry-on uh, weight? I haven't tried that, but it's, it's too <laughs> much probably. I think it's 15, 16 kilograms. So yeah. usually they don't, sec they, yeah. they don't check for the weight unless they're a really stingy airline. <laughs> but you have to look like it's uh, super light all the time. Yeah, it's not so easy. It's test equipment is not heavy. It's just so light. It doesn't yeah. weigh a thing. Yeah, I uh, mean, <clears throat> I've, we, Dennis and I did uh, one of the <laughs> stay home sound systems here together. And after that, we did some tracks. And for that, we transported pretty much I think now probably 70% of his studio uh, to this room. It's too much. And uh, I mean, I, I loved it. And we built like a massive, massive tower of, of stuff uh, in the middle of this room. But um, yeah, it took us like a full day to move everything and then a whole night to build it up. And then uh, we did one show and then uh, we decided to leave it here, you know, because it was just, a, it, I couldn't get my head around you know, just doing that one show and then just move everything out again. Um, so it stayed here for about a week. And then uh, and we did some we did eventually we ended up doing two EPs for for uh, for the store label. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, I mean, if you like exercising, it's it's nice. You know, if you want to incorporate exercising in your daily routine, it's good to work with uh, with this yeah. kind of stuff. But it's it is a it is a nightmare because even when it was back at your place, you spent another I yeah, know, yeah. two days or something yeah. to reassemble yeah. your your studio. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Not I'm not trying to have a, a, like 80% of my life set outside of the studio already. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to break down the whole uh, studio every time. Yeah, yeah I remember like after your gig, at, after our both, we played uh, both in the uh, at Worm. It was yeah. like putting it back up and putting the studio back together, making it nice. There was a full day of heavy lifting, yeah. patching yeah. up together. That was sweat-driven yeah. work. It was, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah, and I'm doing it uh, all over now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell yeah, me, how's, how's the how's the, the progress river. going? Because you, you're you're connecting it in a, in such a way that people who are not used to working your place uh, can find their way around it a bit better or something is that the idea yeah yeah i bought yeah. uh matrix routers for video and i think i can att attenuate the inputs and connect everything to it so then people can just uh program it like a Cinti in a web browser and do the routing then people don't need to worry about how where do i go in here and when uh, do i go out basically so what like did you a, build, a build for that? Did you a build matrix? something extra? A matrix? No, I bought a video matrix. 64 ah, yeah, okay. by 64. But it's only uh, the maximum voltage is 2 volt PPP. So I just need to attenuate the outputs of the devices, basically, and then it's okay. 
because with, with how you go into it as equipment doesn't matter. Everything has a preamp in mm -hmm. the input. So, but Dennis, does that mean that someone can from remote program yes. your studio? I can do it remote from home. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I just need to figure out how I can tune everything remote. That would be super great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, motors. So then then I don't go there, there anymore. Thing. There is a thing, Gerald, I think you know that technology. Isn't there like something for paddles where you uh, where you have a little motor? Yeah, on a, a robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen well, that. What yeah. is that? That's oh. like a commercial product now. Then yeah, I don't need then... to go to the... Then I just re-record my stream. Then I don't need to yeah, go there anymore. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and you can you stuff even more stuff. You can stuff even more equipment in your studio because it, it doesn't need any people, any persons. Yeah. It can just be a storage room <laughs> with robots. <laughs> the drone yeah. studio. Yeah. <laughs> so uh. may, yeah, maybe maybe people in the comments know the this this sort of knob uh, rotary encoding uh, turning thing uh, robot. Uh, yeah, I heard then, about it too at uh, Willem yeah. II. They were talking about it too to use it for the big uh, oscillators. Or do the big matrix just with voltages? You know, mm. I can do two volt with uh, divide by sixty four, and then add them and subtract mm -hmm. them maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> hey, but Dennis, since, since you know so much about the insides of this equipment, um, would it be possible to to just build smaller versions of whatever's in there? Because it's the outside that is the most heavy, right? And the controls. The, 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 what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Ah, it's too hard, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah I was going to say. I mean, I mean if, if 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 your knobs are like this big and your meters are are, are this big, you can do with smaller yeah. ones, I guess. You know, which are lighter. I don't know. Yeah. There's something That's to say about like the sacrilege. aesthetic too. Yeah, sacrilege. true. Yeah. I mean, this is called <laughs> the Not Twiddler's <laughs> if, if, podcast. If, if, yeah, make it small. You know what, what I do live is also visually. You know, the show people want to see the big things. Mm -hmm. You know, the big knobs and the equipment. Yeah, yeah if, just, it's, it's, yeah. if it's all the size of a Euro rack, it's not interesting anymore. Yeah, I, I was just, no. I was just making you say it. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not, not a hipster, you know. Yeah. No. <laughs> mm. It's nice though. I think the equipment makes you think about sound and music in a different way because it's so big. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it makes things more basic in your head, to me at least. The function gets so basic because the knobs are so big. Mm -hmm. So it's so, uh, it's more straightforward in a way. I mean, it, it can also be very complex, of course, but yeah. Well, it's true that, that you tend to get um, a different relationship with uh, an instrument uh, based on uh, the way it looks and operates, you know. So if you have a massive uh, stack in front of you with, uh, you know, really cool, uh, you know, design, big knobs and and meters, then you you approach them totally differently than when something is on a, on, on a tiny circuit board and you know, like you have to wear glasses to see it. So it's it is definitely helping, um, you know. Focusing more on what you can do with the 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 sort of the the single functions of of machines like that, than uh, to just uh, grab for the next knob when you're out of ideas, you know, e immediately. So it's it it kind of focuses you to work harder to get some sound out of it. Um, yeah. Also. Yeah. Well, the too. sound that comes out in itself is already so good. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I cloned that Rode and Schwarz uh, sine oscillator. It's just a sine oscillator, mm. but it just sounds so beautiful. And it turns, like, when you up the gain, it just overdrives because, I don't know, it's old and probably like, in big need of service. So the sine <laughs> becomes imperfect, but nice and overdriven. And I just mm. had that thing. And I thought, oh, wow, this was my first piece of test equipment that I actually bought after I mm. read Dennis, like, buy something. And I couldn't find anything of that list, like the big uh, <laughs> buyer's guide to test equipment. Nothing, nothing available. I couldn't find anything. So I just went locally. Okay, uh, yeah, I went to a guy and I bought, like, a Rode and Schwarz 25-kilogram sign oscillator and an oscilloscope also, same weight. I was like, okay, I'm here by my bike. That's a problem. And <laughs> But I had it. Uh, and... When I patched it in, I was okay, this is a sound that I love. And just with that single boom, massive sign, I could do so much. And yeah, of course, then I basically cloned that machine and made it into a virtual instrument that you can all play on your iPad, which is another way for me to take the sound of this thing with me, because now I can use my app fundamental on the iPad and just have eight oscillators mm. together. But I have to say, the one thing that I love about Dennis shows is the sense of immediate danger <gasps> because you stack oh, yeah. these things up <laughs> and they're like, okay, it's like a bit shaky, but heavy. And but everything looks dangerous. Together. Yeah, but it's dangerous. Them all together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you look, you're so yeah. serious behind the machines and you're like, uh, uh. and I could like, <laughs> like the sound system, like the limiters on the sound system keep like, oh, no, 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 don't, please, no, no. <laughs> and it's like, feels so, because I know how dangerous it is with this equipment to patch because just one patch cable somewhere wrong can make and can be horribly loud and off-putting. Same with a modular synthesizer, but there's much more. And that's, was, there was a recent thread on Twitter, like what was the most dangerous uh, um, music that you ever heard? And I said, Monopoly at Worm, because <laughs> it felt like any moment everything could break apart, but it didn't. And I was like, he's playing with fire. This is actually like, this is raw. You would, the, the equipment was testing the limits of the PA and your music was so powerful and heavy. So that was the most dangerous music I actually heard. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> there you go, Dennis. Sure. No, it's true. I mean, it, it um, apart from how it looks and the, the, their their big stacks and their their sort of you know oh. uh, seem to be uh, uh, very dangerous when they would fall over. But um, I mean, uh, I think it's true. It's a universal thing about uh, live performances. There should be something dangerous about it you know oh I mean, some equipment mm -hmm. can give you shocks like no no i know i, I don't <laughs> mean in that way no, really <laughs> like the Google smart ubm sometimes <laughs> yeah. you know you touch it and bang <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wasn't really talking about like unhealthy danger but you know, like, it's not unhealthy <laughs> No, no, no. Did <laughs> you focus? <laughs> 25 volts. Yep. Dennis, do you want a yeah. Red Bull? No, I'm fine with the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, like, uh, um, uh, I guess uh, Heimbach also means the, that it's, that it's uh, uh, dangerous in a sense that it's unpredictable and um, um, it keeps you on your toes because um, the equipment has a life of its own as well as... Um, is influenced by uh, by by Dennis in in this case, but there is always uh, th this sort of uh, on the edge feeling about about the whole thing because it's um, um, 
yeah, it's 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 making a lot of strange noises, but it's also uh, like you said, anything can happen. So there's you always expect something crazy to happen, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. So it's it's unexpected. I think that's the the danger, right? What you mean? Yeah. But also in performance, of course, like there's also the other danger of just, I mean, sucking, just not doing, let's say something with modulars and everything, anything I, like improvising electronic music live, there's always the danger that you're going to suck at some point. I have that, I feel like. And I, you I've will. Not, if I've sucked, <laughs> you will suck, of course, <laughs> yeah. it happens. But then there is like, I feel like uh, there's something that I learned when I did the residency at, uh, at, at uh, the Waveform Research Center was, um, and if it's getting too deep, nerdy here because uh, let me know because but you uh, on this podcast really cool, good okay because no, no, go Dennis, you've got a really cool <laughs> way of getting rhythms involving the boxcar averager averager that i think yeah, yeah, you've yeah. gave a nickname to and i wonder could you just go into that how you get rhythms with that how that works that's basically uh it's got a clock a pulse and then i put a second club pulls in and then it goes to uh Yeah, the boxcar average, it's like, uh, like a separate hold kind of thing. Then it compares the two pulses. And if they are together, then it gives a pulse out. Depending also on the length and stuff. And then with two pulses, I get the offset of the main clock with the second pulse to offset. I can do all kinds of variations of a beat. It's really insane. Just a test of, of an open and new uh, pentagon comes out. But is it random or can you control when you hear what? You can control it really good. Mm. You control it really good. Mm. Is no, what was the nickname one, again? It it was it James Brown that you gave no, the, the, nickname the, the funky to drummer? It? I call oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. we used that as he, uh, here as well. Yeah, yeah. you can, you, you can indeed. Um, uh, I mean, it it is not 100 predictable how a setting change is going to affect the rhythm, but uh, changes yeah. do happen. So it's a matter of. You know, just changing them around until you hit something. It's always in like. time. It's yeah. always in time. The timing yeah, yeah, yeah. is always perf perfect. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, but how the patterns develop and when when the when the beats are going to hit, that is something which is sort of unpredictable. Uh, yeah, you can yeah. you can change you can increase the speed of uh, of events happening and and decrease it, but when they are exactly are going to hit is sort of like a mystery, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's when you tune it right. It's the hardest thing to set up when I play live. You know, to set it right. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, sometimes uh, I'm not in control. <laughs> is that is that yeah. because the the phases need to align or something? No, there's so many very very parameters you can set on it. Okay. And yeah, I just need to get it uh, yeah, to get it uh, try and get it uh, work proper that mm -hmm. that it responds nice on the uh, on the on the on the settings. Mm. So. Heimbach, you you um, you you did this um, iOS app, right? Yes. Um, how did you go about modeling that to something that is faithful in in your ears? Because you first you also basically say that you know the sort of flawedness of the of the original testing equipment is contributing to the the magic of the sound, right? So how did is that something that that was modeled into it into into the app version of I spent hours upon hours <laughs> recording it. I recorded like, right. like go like, like a few hertz up. Record that. Recorded at all the values that you have, like all the um, amplitude volumes. Recorded a second time. Record, 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 record up until like the highest range. So that was super tedious, like the most boring thing in the world. 
<laughs> and then I added all these parts. So like every time I messed up, because of course you get tired and I go, oh, I did the wrong. So, uh, it was it was tedious, tedious work. And I, I like people that do sample library work, like it's it's hardcore te te tedious stuff. <laughs> but um, then I and then I gave all that to Zinan Boksoy of Sonic Lab. And he then analyzed that. He machine learned everything. He turned it into wavetables. And for each voice that mm. we've got running, so it's eight voices, <clears> and there's four wavetable oscillators running all the time, interpolating. And mm. at some points, you are reaching the limits of what digital can do. And that's something we found out, like, where's the point where the crossover, where, where the vintage model, we've got two models in there, the mathematical model and the vintage model. Mathematical is a pure sign, basically, and the vintage model is the modeled one. But at some point, we were at the limits of what someone running this at 44.1 kilohertz would be able to, yeah, to hear without artifacts, because uh, you get so many foldbacks once you are past a certain frequency. And those in digital, they didn't sound nice. It was like <laughs> noisy stuff. So uh, we tried to find the perfect crossover when it was good to move from the model stuff to the mathematical. So I think that was at 3.5 kilohertz. And there it turns into a mathematical model. So it was, mm. at some point, it became impossible to model the original. But okay, we tried so, to keep it in the important parts. We tried to keep it as faithful and as powerful as possible with the modeled uh, stuff. And that's the four wavetables trying to interpolate and trying to capture all the variables at all the different volume settings. Wow. And if you that, listen back, then you don't hear a lot of difference? Do, do you? No, okay. Not when I'm running it at 192 kilohertz. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that's another thing. Like you have to, if you run your audio stream and everything in audio interface at a really high rate, you get a lot of headroom and that's cool mm. for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, I, okay, I have to say, I'm lying. I, it, at, six, at, at 96, my ears are too old. So at that, at that <laughs> point, it's fine. So not, not, not bragging, it doesn't make sense. So um, that is, uh, that sounds fine. So, but then of course, there's another thing because this thing does only and then you go it, you, you pitch it so in the end it's not it's like getting something musical out of it except for setting a pitch and then offsetting that to another oscillator doing a pitch that i have it's not very productive musically in the end after some time so we turn it into a playable thing and that's where the magic of digital comes in we added mid polyphonic <coughs> expression so you could really play it so suddenly uh you could touch all oscillators basically you could touch eight imagine like touching eight oscillator wheels and then by pressure increasing the amplitude thus changing the timbre adding more to it mm -mm. and then pitching each of your fingers to the left to up and down so each of them flows into a different pitch range and that, that, that for me was possible. the point that yeah, it's yeah. impossible impossible to do with even the bank at Willem Tway. Like that mm. was also another big inspiration the bag of sign generators there and Hans trying to make and electronic music that doesn't sound synthesizer-ish, but that was one of the biggest inspirations for Fundamental, but then going past that, going beyond the limits of uh, limits of the original machines and turning it into something that's truly a playful instrument that anybody who's played a stringed instruments will suddenly like, because you can bend all the tones everywhere. Hmm. And that's to me where the magic of this instrument lies. So at some point, okay, the modeling is fine. Okay, that's good enough. That's good. That's That sounds good. I love it. But now let's make it something that's more than the original. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say once once it, it's in in the digital domain and you got the sound sorted out, you can you can potentially do uh, shitloads of other stuff that is that would be impossible with um, the originals. Cool. I check. I'll check it out. I haven't checked it out. I saw you um, talk about it, but um, I'll uh, I'll have to listen to it. That's cool. So yeah, you you mentioned Willem II, uh, Albert. You've you've um, um, you've been doing a lot of work there, right? A lot of collaborations. I know of yeah. at least one, and that's ours. <laughs> but um, yeah, that yeah, was nice you... too. Since we, we we recorded only on the measuring equipment, so we made more than an album, maybe two albums worth of material just with the measuring equipment. And we also used a lot of uh, like rhythmical, tried to do rhythmical uh, music. So it sounds like a 70 year old techno. Yeah, or well, some, the, yeah. The, what I, what I, th I thought was really cool. I mean, the, the way I collaborated with Dennis was pretty much uh, having Dennis operate and control um, his equipment. And then I matched I kind of built the setup around it, you know, with my own equipment, which was uh -huh. uh, more traditional stuff and um, uh, kind of sort of tuned the sounds of the stuff that I was doing to the type of sounds that coming from his stuff. So it sounds coherent, but still, you know, there are two, basically two worlds brought together in that sense. But um, but what's cool in the, in, in the collaboration we did in Willem II is that uh, it was really only test equipment and tape, you know, just the the, the stuff that um, you worked before uh, a few times, but I, I up to the point never really uh, controlled it and, and worked worked with it. And you find I find myself doing things that um, I've learned, you know, with with modular, but especially with uh, stuff that is very limited. If you have a very limited amount of uh, uh, gear and and possibilities, like for example things like uh, matching LFOs, you know, by hand. So yeah. they are sort of going at the same rate, but not really, you know what I mean? And those those kind of stuff like, uh, like uh, ha you know, tune the, the frequency of a ring modulator to an LFO in some, some other piece of gear and match that both to the rhythm of some generator that creates pulses. And then they're all kind of shifting a little bit, going back and forth and, and creating really uh, constant rhythms, but because they are a bit loose they're never really the same you know so that that kind of stuff is um i think really interesting with having so little parameters to to tweak you start doing things uh, out of necessity almost mm. yeah what i also liked is that you uh, as you said like watering plants you turn a knob and then we also took a lot of time i learned this from jochem to step back and just sit there and see how the system um adjusts to that change of just the, the knob uh, once you have a more complex patch so you don't because um, you usually i i guess i touch all these knobs too often but you can also let it run a little bit and give it some uh air and let it breathe and i think um yeah i think that was really nice and i think you can also hear it in the recordings that it just you hear all these changes and it sounds super organic and everything keeps changing all the time because it's, um, yeah. It's like, like a self, self-generating patch, you know, it's like uh, how you would uh, program something like a Sinti in the past, you know, you, you give it some uh, connections, you make a patch and then uh, once you have a setting with certain, with a certain range that, that, uh, that sounds nice, 
um, you know, it's sometimes good to just step back and, and just listen to what it does, you know, instead of uh, intervening all the time, because um, I, I like I like stuff which is self-generating, you know, sometimes you it takes a while to get tuned into it. But once you are, um, it can do beautiful things that you would never have um, been able to imagine yeah. uh, by itself, you know, so it's it's sometimes you have to let the machine do what it does, you know, and see how it develops. Yeah, especially you're with the sound, talk- I think. <laughs> no, curious that you're talking about the Zunti because, uh, yeah, I played one first at Willem Twe. I never had played one before. And uh, then I got the Zuntrax from Ericasson's, which is inspired by the Zunti. It's a different thing. It's modern. It has a digital patch matrix. There's all these kind of modern conveniences, but it has a similar workflow. And there it is indeed a similar thing to like tuning the three oscillators before you're thinking about the pitches and that has very much that reminds me very much of patching the test equipment so when i just with three oscillators and then of course you've got a joystick to have fun with that but still mm-hmm. like the thing like matching three oscillators to each other and just having them yeah you start listening to the to the beats so much and the the schwebungen which is so interesting and that's that enables this yeah the stepping back process albert that you described like where you're just listening to all these different little beats that are happening between the waveforms themselves that are always just a touch changing maybe yeah for I, I sure did, i did for quite well with my modeler playing and just doing generative patches I was also smoking a lot back then. <laughs> and uh, make a patch, smoke a doobie, and just listen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I created the organism or something like it. Also I really enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. But. Yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> no, 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 just kidding. No, not, 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 yeah, not yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I used, it, I used yeah, um, uh, some software and I'm trying to get back oh. into that with Max MSP um, or similar to make generative patches that have yeah. so much probability functions and random functions that they um, self-generate. Yeah, I'm super interested in that uh, now. Do you yeah, like guys... Uh, sorry. Oh, oh there's we've a got a question from uh, YouTube from Bauke van der Waal. Uh, what would be a proper mm. Euro rec- replacement for the vintage test equipment? Um, isn't it that as a user, you could just go towards the perspective of using a dupe for a 110 instead of a make noise DPO? Mm. Okay, who wants to comment on that? I got an opinion on that. Because go I mean, it. the DPO is kind of like there is DPO like stuff already in some of the test equipment, like a, the complex oscillator. So there are complex oscillators. I mean, some of the Cronin Heights, Dennis, which one is the model yeah. number? 2400. The 2400. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That has a complex yeah. setup. So you can do stuff and it's crazy oscillator. So you have that already. Sebastian. You don't have the wave shaper, I think, in that, right? There's no wave shaping in that, but you can. It has a VCA. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So that's but already. Well, so it's a complex you got like, you, you got like uh, various kinds of F uh, modulations, like FM pitch and uh, yeah, other options. Yeah. But spirit wise, like I would say, like there's one manufacturer that kind of uh, nails it, and that's Joranalog. 
and uh, Joanna Log, there's all these beautiful modules like um, they're called like Generate Three, and then he's got a filter which is quadrature filter, which and he's inspired also by the test equipment, and in the way that he, hmm. the mixer works, the switches, the comparators work, everything has like a clean look to it, and it takes some of that yeah test equipment style approach and Maybe, approach yeah, yeah it know, really yeah. i think and and it's all like really really is super so analog he really takes his name to heart it's all analog and it you you can do similar things like with the generate 3 it it's closely reminds me in in terms to the wavetech oscillators so it has that kind of kind of like west coastish uh singing saw and that would be like I've got a whole rack of Geranalog here because yeah I think it's so it's so like it so what of course it doesn't have is this massive overblown voltage range so you can overdrive anything behind it it's like it's it has the standard Eurorack range which is still a lot but Geranalog is the one I would say is functionally and from the sound the most similar to test equipment right now and then there's another guy Starling Modular. And Starling Modular, it's digital modules, but he's a guy who actually, I think he made Pong on a Nimbin system. So <laughs> he programmed Pong on a nuclear instrumentation modular. Proper and nerdy. Yeah, he's, he's crazy. He's really <laughs> smart. And he, he's one of those, like, he, he um, America has this beautiful, uh, like, recycling thing where people just pick up all the stuff from universities and then just resell it so he, he had a, a huge nimbin system i went to skype with him was like oh wow this is giant and uh he made really good use from that and all that is in the sterling starling sorry starling modular um modules also there so with maybe, a very maybe modern spell approach it, maybe uh Heimbach, drop it in the, comment put it in the comments people, yeah because people are asking um, about it not Stalin. Yeah. It's not Hamish. It's not Stalin <laughs> modular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, there's so. also, of course, a lot of stuff uh, we use with the test equipment, which isn't available in the modeler at all. Like the crazy bandpass filters or the locking amplifiers and stuff like that. Yeah. Locking amplifiers so, doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 So that's a shame. Yeah, bandpass yeah. filters to some extent, but not n as clean and as beautiful sounding as the no, Brutal NKR stuff, for example. Yeah, the most Euro uh, manufacturers even don't specify a bandwidth yeah. of a bandpass filter. So, yeah, there's no space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, also, does the technology even exist anymore to wind all the coils? That, because most of these, like, oh, really yeah. clean bandpass filters, they're coil-based, right? Right? Yeah. Does the technology even exist anymore? Do people, is there, is it possible to produce this? Oh, yes. Even? But also, also with, uh, with, with the chips, you know, with ICs. My, my Box of Angels is made with... Uh, um, the Box of Angels, yeah. Yeah, the Box of Angels. <laughs> it's made with... Uh, yeah, Burr Brown, Burr Brown filterizes, and they still produce them to, okay, uh, cool. to make the bonds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw this question about uh, what was your first. Uh, Sonder bring that question back. What? Yeah. What was the 
first equipment you guys ever bought to produce music with music with yeah i think that i think what i'm interested in and it's probably going to answer this person's question as well is um the stories of hunting down this stuff because th this is not something you can buy off uh you know um in a music shop you have to really find it on on, on uh ebay or stuff like that or uh go to uh storages of uh, hospitals and uh, <laughs> uh, old labs and stuff to find it right so yep. um, yeah, and, and how do you start you know where do you uh, yeah yeah why yeah. why why do you fall for this well, machines okay. okay that's a lot of questions in one okay let's, yeah okay uh, let's, let's, let's 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 first start with Owen's question because that's that's an interesting one what because yeah, why, Dennis, why do you Dennis, move you from a modular or a synthesizer because we we all know your You've always been a big collector and uh, buying yeah. and selling and also on the synth forum uh, years back, always very active with uh, synthesizers yeah. uh, in this scene. Why, why did, do you choose to move into measuring equipment? Because uh, the model of scene exploded too much, you know. It's, I, I did model because no one else did it. Yeah. And now, you know, it's so popular. And it's so widely available and stuff. And then I moved deeper into the stuff, into a test equipment. I already had a little bit. The first thing I bought was a Brunekiai bumper filter because I got inspired by an album from Ken. And they had this big Brunekiai on the cover. And then I was like, wow, what is it? Mm -hmm. Brunekiai. And then I made a search on Analog Heaven. And then I found a post by. Uh, Dak Cryro, Heimach also knows him, and then he he did a yeah like a buying guide, uh, a buy guide from test equipment, and then okay. yeah then I, then I yeah I've brought a Brunel guy from a vibration measuring company in Venlo, picked it up with the train and carried it back to Rotterdam, hmm. and then I yeah I played it with a search, basically. So you also you, you uh, just you just got tired of uh, using what everybody else uses, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to be special. You know, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> but yeah, also yeah. in also in But sounds? Dennis, you are special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be yeah, different. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But all in sound, or because of just general hipness, or also because you got bored of the modular sound. Mm. Or synth, yeah, base like classic synth sound. No, not really, not really. I think I still have fun with the modeler, you know, but uh, everybody does it, you know, it's not, yeah. Yeah. I just want to be uh, yeah, a bit of a rebel, do different things, you know. Back in the days when I had keyboard synthesizers, I was making drones and all kind of stuff instead of melodies and rhythms and stuff. And now I have uh, the perfect drone setup, you know, no VCAs, no envelope generators, and now I try to make a real music. You know, with beats and some kind of melody. You know. There's a prediction about your future. Uh, uh, oh, he's going to move into high voltage power lines next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when now everybody is uh, jumping on the test equipment stuff. What's your next plan? Oh, they are too late. <laughs> they are too late. I'll go VST, you know, when everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I've got a few yeah. that you can try, yeah. buddy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Start with the groove boxes, like Joachim said before. <laughs> I bought an organ uh, model last week, a MIDI organ model. Yeah. 
Mm. There's a drone voice, you know, with all the drawbars and stuff. So it's going to be great. So, so yeah, but, but tell me, you, you both, both you and, and, uh, and Heinbach, um, uh, some of the stuff you discover uh, hasn't been used as a device to make music with before. So how do you find out? Because you, you showed me some stuff that um, uh, that is outside of the, the well-known test equipment gear, right? Like uh, that no, no, not many people are using. And, and so, same as for, for you, Heinbach. You come up with sometimes uh, unique pieces of equipment um, that nobody ever even considered uh, as a music making device, a kid's toy or whatever, you know? So what, what is the, do you have sensors for these things or what, where, where do you find them? Cheap. <laughs> Cheap is yeah. a good sensor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? So, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to like scour, like you go, you go basically, you don't, I, I don't know, you didn't do it, uh, Dennis, but I go like on eBay, I don't go on the, I don't search for things. I just browse. I go into mm. the categories like, Red, like, I don't know, low ball. Yeah, like, yeah, all, all the off, like, like off categories, and then just yeah. browse, and then see something. Oh, this could yeah. be interesting. Is it cheap? If it's cheap, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take it. I'm gonna try yeah. it. Like the best thing I got was the, which is actually like the most useless thing, but it was such a success, like in regards to like how many people viewed it, found it interesting, and that was the saddest drone machine, which was an HP uh, communications line tester. And that was something that, yeah, it, it wasn't on any buyer's guide. It wasn't the buyer's guide. It's, I don't think it's a book. It's just a, a post by Dennis and by Dak. Oh, no, that, not funny that I know that now. And you could, of course, look at the gear list of Willem Twee, but it wasn't there. It was just something, hmm, maybe this will work. And I got it to play exactly two notes. And that was like, boom. And then they would go, Boom, 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 boom. It sounded really sad. <laughs> I just put it on tape, multiplied it, tape loops, and then added more test equipment to make a track of that. And there was the whole video, like this thing, okay, it doesn't do anything, but it's the saddest drone machine. <laughs> that was this HP thing. And there's a whole line of these HP things that actually sound pretty great. I have three of them now, two of them are dead, and they smell horribly because they've got giant fans in there and they sucked in whatever... <laughs> telecommunications storage air they were from deutsche post mostly uh is there and they're all cheap and all have their own cool sounds and i recorded so much with these like things that actually inject code so the range of these things is much higher than the audio that you hear so i recorded them at uh 69 kilohertz so i could pitch them down later on if i desired so so mm. i made whole samples of them so to hear what what they're actually saying because i could only hear a small part so yeah like the, this like kind the, of hidden, the hidden stuff in the high frequencies that, that uh, sort of become apparent when you slow things down extremely yeah yeah that's I, cool I, Exactly, but cheap is a good, good thing. Like, uh, and I mean, now of course, Dak mm. is always someone who is recommending a lot of stuff. He's also in in the Heinbach subreddit where we talk a lot about test equipment. So if you're interested in this whole topic, Reddit.com/r/Heinbach is a place where you can get a lot of like recommendations and people. There's always the hashtag Will It Music, and then people check. Okay, this is something that could be interesting. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, and then everybody's like jumping, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but it could be. So huh, there's um, an active community now helping, and Dennis is also also there, so it's really nice to have like the to have like these chats. So it's uh, a good place to to find things. But then there's of course the other option. Like I mean, there's one guy here in Berlin, and he's basically selling off 
his dead wife's uh, grandfather's shed. It's a guy with a shed full of stuff. And I bought, I think, five, six, seven things from them. Like, uh, the, I bought the Programmierbare Impulsgenerator, which was the title of my test equipment EP. And that's a unique piece of gear. It's just a bunch of 20, uh, 20 impulses, and you can set each one by milliseconds. So for, just for fun, I typed in, I, I, I you can, with these little clicky things, sliders, you would tick, 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 and I made 909, 909, 908, 808, 909, off-kilter rhythm generator and it's just something i got from this guy who's basically selling off the shed and he puts off he doesn't he does he allows no visitors because he had bad experiences so it's just like okay i'm putting this up on local classifieds for anyone to pick up and then i look at him okay so he's posted something is it interesting is it interesting yeah maybe and then i we meet up and then take it give him money and go back so there's a very localized thing also so, so when I hear you and Dennis talk about working with this stuff, um, it is probably the way I understand it as much a process of discovery as well as it is a, a thing of making music, right? Because you said you it does this or it does that. It's something you cannot come up with. So it's basically you're stumbling, up, stumbling upon things, you know, so... Um, I'm not saying that is not musical, but the, what I'm saying is that the, the fun probably in, in most of this, using this stuff is in just uh, tinkering with it and see what it does and, and use whatever it comes up with yeah, well, in a composition, right? Yeah, but, but the try stuff, you know, most stuff is not just an audio processor. Mm -hmm. Try sending pulses in it or control voltage. Then some, most times the real magic happens. That's what I discovered. Remember my, my, my funky drummer pads? I, I always think I was using it as an audio processor. And then one day I was like, let's see. Let me put a clock into it, the clock signal. Clock in, funky rhythm out. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because so, that's yeah, the goal yeah. to that you're thinking like first okay i'm going to use this yeah. as an audio processor i think yeah. that's a similar process that people do with modular like i see yeah. i saw that back when i was really deep into the modular scene people were like i'm gonna get a euro rack for uh audio processing yeah. and uh half a year later or one year later they're doing generative patching but um <laughs> it's uh, like the entryway to that and if you can start doing the whole control voltage stuff also and that's something that I personally, like, I haven't explored. I've got two racks of nuclear instrumentation modular with, I think now, I think it's four box car averages, which is too much. But it's something that I really want to try to see what can I do to control voltage with that mm -hmm. and then even find a way to, yeah, to, I've got also like now that's another thing because I'm also very much into tape. And I got an HP um, instrumentation recorder as a gift. Uh, I had to pay 600 uh, euro in shipping, so uh, that the, the gift came with consequences. But it was a lovely gift. It's an instrumentation recorder that allows me to record four channels of control voltage and four channels of audio at the same time. So, and then pitch oh, that up and, and the medium, down. The, the medium is tape on that? The medium is tape. Oh, it's, wow. Okay. It's really, it's like this is, 
It's an eight-track recorder for uh, yeah control voltage and or like FM modulated, so you can record control voltage DC, and then you can record audio. So this is something I'm still trying to wrap my head around how I'm going to incorporate this, because this machine has also two things. <laughs> it has an oscillator in, so you can control it via an external oscillator. So you could, in theory, because you've got outputs for each of these tracks, so you could record audio on it and then have it, the speed of the motor controlled by what's recorded on that. If you do a loop, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. feedback, feedback its own, its own signal. Yeah, yeah. And you can play the Into whole it. thing externally no. with the sequencer, and or with the tracking oscillator, and that that you can pitch. And then it follows. That's another thing. The HP, I think it's ABIB, AB minus IB protocol. So you can use the the control protocol that HP <coughs> uses across its units to remotely control it. Hmm. And that could be potentially crazy to have like something like an app to and the box to say like yeah, you record. Could, you, could, you could build an installation and, and people can sort of log into your, your installation and create their own sounds. Hell, just in the studio, I mean, like, just say, like, okay, record 20 seconds of audio, then play that back backwards, then stop, yeah. play that back forwards, play that back backwards for 10, 5, 3, so you could, you can, you could pos potentially create crazy, crazy <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the whole process is, you know, like, most of the fun is in, in, in these thoughts that you were just explaining, you know, what can I do with this and how can I make it work to do something uh, really interesting. So it's it's kind of um, a different approach than working with um, um, a piece of equipment that was designed to make music with because it has an interface that expects you to interact with it in a certain way and it kind of guides you into um, sort of, uh, yeah, treating it to you know according to the the way the interface was built and stuff like that from a musician's point of view uh, or from a, 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 an audio producing device point of view you know instead of something that was built for a completely different purpose and you have to kind of scratch your head and come up with ideas how to make use of that so i think um well yeah. you how you were like nerds you know uh, yeah we kind of know how the devices work and so it's not that hard at, at some point and you know what's good and bad for example but like, still you know, it's no one's patch but your own you know no one yeah, yeah, no one yeah. thought this is this is like not an instrument anybody ever thought to be used an instrument so yeah. the there's no, document, you, there's no documentation or anything yeah. about it anywhere how to make music yeah. with locker amplifiers or or with book score average, averages mm -hmm. and so on. It's interesting. It's like wrong by default. Yeah, there's no wrong. <laughs> but that's, no, that's very no nice. Wrong. This is a good question from uh, from YouTube, uh, from Traitor to the Living. How much test gear do you think is still or is yet undiscovered to make music? So how much, how many things could be around there that could fit a musical purpose in this kind of way? What do you think? Any estimation? Because you you guys tried a lot of things. Some some yeah. might be um, unsuccessful as a as something to incorporate, but yeah, there's always stuff where I still look for and hope to find one day. But there's also stuff I bump into, and then I'm like, wow, wow, I didn't know it exists. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really hard to say, but there must be quite some still. Cool. And and uh, does just you know, 
analyzers, analyzers in general are in generally good for music. Yeah. Every yeah. time it says analyzer on there, you know, yeah, yeah. okay, what did they use to analyze at that time? Yeah, and yeah. if it's pre-70s or like pre-80s, it's usually a bandpass filter. And when there's a bandpass mm. filter, oh, there's yeah, yeah. a possibility. Mm. But yeah. I, I mm. think there's still a lot like um, there something you can some things that are easily made into music some things that are not so easily made into music and i discovered like stuff i've got one thing i've got i mean in my studio i've got a lot of stuff that i haven't talked about yet on video so that i'm planning to go like that's only known to a handful of people and uh then stuff that nobody knows like one thing i can talk about now and it's gonna i'm gonna because i'm gonna make a video basically up until the 1997 in Germany, when you went to the whole left on the shortwave radio on UKW Ultra Kurzwelle, you could hear all these FM modulated sounds. And that was my first synthesizer because I couldn't afford a synthesizer. I just mm -hmm. had a tape recorder and I had a big radio that my girlfriend had. And I could, you got white noise and these sounds. So I would use these sounds and then with many many play the radio go to the left and then play piano it's not unlike i do music now except more complicated but um there there was something that was a beautiful signal i love that and i love the searching yeah surfing on those waves but that signal was turned off in 1997 they turned it off so now you turn to the left, there's nothing anymore. That's just silence or some kind of crappy ad for some uh, show. But then I was in my one of these, okay, I'm just browsing. I'm just browsing. And by the way, anybody who gets mad that uh, people like Dennis and me tend to find all the good stuff, we just spend way more time than you searching stuff, probably, mm -hmm. because we treat this as a serious job. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I found a unit by Schlumberger, which is a lovely German name. And it's called, I'm looking at it here, it's called the Selektivrufprüfgerät. And that is meant to create these frequencies. That is meant, you can enter a number here and then it will play that, that modulated stuff. And I tried it, it works, and I now have to figure out a way if I can clock it externally and then suddenly make this stuff rhythm. So I'm basically rediscover I rediscovered my musical oranges, uh, oranges, origins, by finding this Schlumberger, and it's probably worthless to anybody but me because <laughs> it really is just a series of beeps, and you could do that with any DTMF tone generator, like beep 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 beep, and it's really simple, but just the way this machine works, the interface, and the memories that I attach to that, it's something really special. It's a great, great story, man. So, so all the tinkering you need to do, uh, and and sort of maybe even the soldering and taking it apart to make it do what you need it to do. Is that something you do yourself? Me? Yeah. I just try. I I I open up things, see if there's something loose, and if there, if if it's not something obvious, like I don't know, like the the input broken or something, then I try to find a tech 
that can repair it. And I'm actively looking for a tech in Berlin that can service <laughs> the transistor-based test equipment. Because for the vacuum tube stuff, I have one. He said it like, takes like three months for everything because he's so overloaded with like repairing space echoes or something. So yeah, I'm looking for someone to take care of some really nice things. So like word generators and stuff like that. Cool. Well, shout out to the techs yeah. out there who are out of a job at the moment. <laughs> I both <Yeah>. need you. <laughs> yeah. You you modify your your stuff, right, Dennis? No. Yeah. Last time the thing we used here in the studio, clock multiplier, multiplication of clock. But that's really simple. In general, I don't modify it. I just break stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, tape. We we uh, I should uh, I should touch on tape because that's something I wanted to discuss as well. Um, I like the uh, I'm coming back to the thing with uh, that I did with Albert at um, at uh, Willem Twee, and um, I mean I've I've had tape machines forever. I, actually, tape was the first medium I ever worked on uh, when I started making music because I didn't have any gear, so tape was the only thing. You know, making basically collages with uh, uh, chopping things up, and even before that, just hitting the pause button and you know, yeah. wait for things to come along, and then quickly unpause it, make a quick recording, and then just uh, do that for a few hours, and then have the great moment to play it back and see what it had become without having ever listened back to it. You know, just crazy stuff like that. Um, I think we and, all did it at some point. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess so. Yeah. 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 But later I got a reel-to-reel -reel machine where you could actually make loops and um, um, I had a, a, a second tape machine and a cassette deck and I used to just uh, overdub looping things with other looping things and they would go in and out of phase and sometimes you could do something. If you were really accurate in your cutting, you could have things actually loop accurately and um, make more sort of rhythmical stuff. Um, I really like the, the, the process of um, having to, if that's your way of composition, having to make the decisions um, in in a way that, you know, you make a choice and you have to spend an hour to make that choice real, you know, because you have to unwind your tape and you have to put it on the, to put a sticker on it. And it takes a while to, to, to kind of work on the, on the decision you made. And, and then there's the moment where you hear back what it, what it has become. So it's a very long and tedious process, but um, you make way more conscious choices and and decisions in the process of making music than, for example, when everything, all the plugins uh, in the world are available to you uh, uh, in an instant, basically. So, um, so yeah, that's 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 one of the things I, I really like about uh, about that process. You know, the sort of immediacy and the lack of um, possibilities, and uh, you know, not being able to. Um, yeah, just wander off and and uh, make un useless um, uh, moves because, yeah, your actual your decision actually takes effort and time to to realize. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can only cut it once. Well, you can make multiple cuts, but no. it's yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the 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 cut that you're doing is 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 final in the, the yeah, sample yeah, that yeah. you have. Yeah. Yeah, there's something there's something to say for that. Um, Sort of destructive uh, and laborious uh, way of uh, of making choices in in the music making process. Yeah, 
We just used the tape in um, Willem 2 to make a um, tape echo or a tape delay. And that worked really nice too uh, with old Struder. And just using it to um, as a tape delay on um, um, all the measuring equipment. Yeah, it was sounded nice. Yeah, yeah especially really easy it, on the big open yeah. reels there. Because yeah. the big open reels, because you can just route like the tape uh, away from the erase head. So yeah, exactly. it makes it really simple. It sounds like so better, so much better than any space echo. So different, so more rich. I'm just playing. I don't know if it's even if you can even see it here on stream. I just got my tape loop here, and oh, yeah. uh, I've got a Nagra right here that, and I can just. That, that's so nice that it's so haptic and so strong. People don't realize how strong tape is. And I usually what I do is like, I do tape loops here, and then I just put them over the thing. I wonder if it's even like turned on. Give me a second. So, demo time. <laughs> ah, it's not grabbing. The speed is too high. So here, so here's the tape loop. Here's Eric the tape loop checking in. Over the microphone. Little farts. Yeah. Uh, but together with so this, so Heinbach, the sound source is the is the tape hitting your microphone then. Now that's the tape. You hear the tape loop, and now you also hear the noise of the tape loop on the microphone. Yeah. Okay. okay. And when I slow it down, you can do all these tortured screams. This alone. <laughs> Isn't that fun? I mean, I that's something that, that regarding Volume 2 that's something when I was there was like, I have to get my tape loops always playable. They have to be always there. So that's why I put my Nagra over here. It was such, Volume 2 was workflow-wise such a big exp um, inspiration. So now I have this Nagra always ready to tape loop. It's on a sub bus on the mixer, so I can always throw, throw something on there. And the mics always go to the piano, so I can always loop the piano mm -hmm. in most old-fashioned way possible. But uh, I love how resilient tape loops are and how much you can, you can tear at them. And I use them in the live theater a lot, like actors, like I did three plays now where actors have tape loops on stage and they walk with them across stage and all kind of that stuff and people at first like really careful with them that nah, doesn't it will break no it won't because good tape don't break and uh <laughs> that's a good t-shirt uh, good yes. tape don't break <laughs> make 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 note to make yeah. note to serve good <laughs> merch good tape <laughs> merch. whoa yeah, good mic stands. Uh, yeah. Don't break either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got the cheapest one here. This is like twenty bucks, but it still holds this SM7 five SM7B or something, which is crazy. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but we didn't get around on uh, doing this uh, this cutting with. Uh, no. the, uh, I mean, uh, we only had two days planned at um, uh, Willem Tay, and I didn't want to uh, spend time on um, you know just. Uh, two minutes of uh, <laughs> tape composition music and we ended up with uh, two albums worth of material <laughs> in the end so I, I guess um, but if you're interested in that we could do it here sometime I'm, I'm actually 
I would be up for doing like a proper tape cut uh, composition sometime. Yeah, that's very cool. I never did it yeah. before. And I thought your um, uh, stories were really nice also with measuring. So you're working at a certain tempo and you have to measure in centimeters the beat and which sound goes where. And I think that approach in general with making music is nice to have also done. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to have um, stuff actually, if you want to make patterns and rhythmical things, if you if you would basically uh think of a rhythm or write a rhythm uh on your computer and and actually want to replicate that there's a shitload of measuring going on um and it it you can get really accurate to be honest if you if you're a good if you measure the things right and you make really clear cuts you know hmm. um you can you can make it sound like a basic machine gun accurate like really really um um computer like you know you still mm. get the tape wobble a little bit but um yeah it it takes a lot of time and, pa and patience though but it's a nice uh, zen activity <laughs> i also you know thought that the tape and the um, spring reverb in them balls made um measuring equipment and the pulse uh, the pulses sound so organic so somehow the combination of the measuring equipment and tone generators in combination with the tape and um, the self-made spring reverb made everything super uh, w wet, like dip techno. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's, there's so there's so much um, um, electronics going on with like uh, input and output stages and levels and saturation and um, sort of hit it. You hit the, you know, at some various points in the chain you you're hitting the preamps harder or you know so there's a lot of extra um you know grit and noise and and stuff introduced by by just layering and layering um stuff from 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 that studio you know it it, it becomes organic very quickly yeah great <laughs> um uh, we should do it again four tracks <laughs> yeah. all over I've got four tracks all over. I use oh, the four tracks to make all the test equipment. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. use uh, so I can easily like. It at first it was a measure to like just have more because I only had like one oscillator and one bandpass filter and one word generator, and with the tape I could double that. I could record it on the four tracks of the cassette four track and then play that in. And the nice thing is you get this kind of like. This is now, this is the past effect. When you play back the the signal that's recorded on this crappy cassette tape, you know, it just takes on a different timbre, especially if it's like a cheap tape loop. And then you, you have this powerful signal up front, then you fade it, crossfade them, and suddenly you're back there and it's a memory. And then you go... Mm. So it's like a Polaroid, a, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's yeah. awesome. and you're moving into like you're breaking up something, but you can always return. It's like this process, the hypnagogic state, the the moment short shortly before you fall asleep. You know when the reality seems to break away from you. This few seconds, you know, it's just like this. I feel, and that's what tape does to me. I think, especially when 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 I employ this technique of before and after tape so you're moving through realities okay so you use it as a um, sort of creating scenes in in uh, in music so you move one from yeah. one space into the other okay that's interesting exactly yeah, yeah. and contrast of course contrast yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Very texture. Nice. yeah good to get contrast with that 
Yes, super hi-fi and super lo-fi somehow mixed, blend together. Mm -hmm. What is that oh. about this um, that it has such a nostalgic vibe to it? Is it because, because you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm old enough to have experienced tape uh, as a medium, like the main medium, but um, are you? <laughs> I mean, I used to walk, walk around with an actual you know, Sony Walkman when they came out as my... <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I couldn't afford a Sony, I had an IVA. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm old enough for that. I think like there's also, I think I'm, I, I started to think about that a lot because I, I do a lot of scoring work and there was one play where I had to go into the mind of an old spy from the former East German uh, Republic and he was suffering from Alzheimer's and he was losing his memories, but then all these memories kept popping up and I needed to find a way to get this process like sounding right. And somehow tape was the medium that fitted perfectly with that because I could put on a melody there and then if I had it clear, like played on the piano on stage at some point, blah, 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 blah. And then later it repeated on tape, it was like, this crazy memory of the past so it felt yeah, more like, like an impression than an actual uh, replication yeah. yeah and something i think it's not only memory I, I think it's not only memories of the past i think there is something about the band limitedness of tape and of the fuzziness like we're talking like we're not talking high quality studio machines right now here we're not talking about telefunken m15 that's been measured imperfectly we're talking about like Cheaper machines, cheaper consumer tape, and all that stuff. Shitty so, tape. Shitty tape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it's not my channel, so I'm allowed to curse. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, no, there's, um, there is, a, there is a, what do you call it? I think that's closely related to how I feel my memories are. You know, when you try to think of something really accurately, like remembering a face, like from, I don't know, your second girlfriend maybe or boyfriend and then you are trying to remember the face and the closer you try to remember it the more distant it becomes and the less you can i think except you focus on one little thing like maybe like a mole here i, I can still remember that mole but i can't remember the eye color so that is something that tape also has you can see like these little jagged edges really clearly but you lots of other things get lost in a wash Mm -hmm. And I think there is some kind of neurological link even to the way tape deals with stored memories on it or stored sound on it to the way we store our, our own memory. I know my memory isn't like a computer because then it would be perfect every time I replay it. It's constantly changing. Memory is like an active process. And, isn't maybe uh, also, has it also to do maybe with um, if you listen to music um or somebody who listens to music it's it's more interesting to listen to something uh which leaves some space for your imagination rather than uh telling the story very accurately you know um i guess i guess that's the same thing right yeah maybe i think there's just something f that's fuzzy and it's not 100 percent, and that's but still, it's somewhat more information rich also because, of course, when you half speed it, you get more information out of that process digital, yeah. than you do within digital. Because there you can hear the, the medium like, kuk, 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 or you can mm. hear different artifacts. And uh, yeah, so it's a, different, it's a different sort of 
thing. And I know my memories don't really work like the digital process. They're, they are not like these finite things. They're more like these constantly pulsing things. Mm. Which is actually like that, that, that's neurons are. That neurons are like tick, 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 tick. They're constantly sending signals. And they're not like compartmentalized little bits of information. Right? I'm not a neuroscience. I just use their <clears throat> equipment to make bass drums. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy just um, passed away who invented the tape for Philips here in Eindhoven. Uh, my, do my girlfriend did an exhibition about him at, at um, the gallery she was working at. So he also did a, um, a short talk or sort of a lecture about the tape. And he sort of had a love-hate relationship with the medium. Uh, and he was also pretty old, so he wasn't always super accurate with his memories. But there's also a nice uh, documentary about him and about this process and him later in life and about his invention and about Philips. And it's interesting, I think. But he never saw it as a perfect medium. He actually sort of hated like um, he talks about it like it was his job for Philips. So it's... Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, putting himself down and the, and the medium and, um, and the process of uh, R&D about the invention of tape. I mean, this type of cheap tape. Mm. Was there like a document? You said it was a documentary? Uh, yeah, there's a documentary about him. I just have to look it up uh, because I don't remember his name, but I can, I can easily look it up. It, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I would love to see that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, people because there's so who, much so much stuff getting lost, right? I mean, like so much cool like information that uh, old people have. That's old people. Like I'm not, but like that that generations before us have. That's just getting lost because they're not sharing it. They're not like on on a on a podcast. They're not like on a show talking about it. And that's something that's uh, always sad to see go. So I'm so I'm happy to see any documentary that covers something. Like that. Well, you know, it's it's true for for like uh, you know in the seven sixties, seventies, and eighties, uh, mostly sixties and seventies, the recording medium in all studios was tape. You know, and if if you you can you can pick up like uh, twenty four, even forty eight track tape machines from those times that are a fraction of the price that they used to cost back then. But all the people who used to service them are are you know they're retired or some of you some of them are even dead you know so you can you can in theory still use that equipment but the, the problem is in the maintenance of, of these machines same goes for vinyl cutting machines you know yeah i mean there's only just a handful of people still servicing traveling the world and servicing all these these neumanns and um, and stuff mm -hmm. like that so so it yeah it's not always that the technology um becomes unusable but it's the keeping the technology working is the is the main problem absolutely i had a hell of a time finding anyone who could service my nagra and i went to a guy who uh it was like a retired tone meister which is like master of sound for film so is is like place was a dream for anyone into tape recording because he had everything like all the tape machines all the good speakers, only the best stuff, all the best microphones. And then he'd like try to hook me up with people that could service it. But this main thing was like, yeah, they're dead, they're dead. Because I was trying to get um, a Nagra 3 serviced, which is a 1964 machine. And for the 1970, for the later versions, the 70s versions, there's still techs around that can help 
them because those were used way into the 80s. Mm. But the Nagra 3, when the 4.2 came around, nobody used the 3 anymore. And so, yeah, I found a young guy. He uh, did a repair, but then it broke down again very quickly. And then I realized that would have been something. Why? Because that was something that anyone would have picked up that you knew these machines easily because the supply that I was using was rated only for the 4.2 and not the 3. So when I used it, it was overpowered. So it burned out. But <laughs> he had the things. It worked for him. It worked for him like for a day. And that was fine. But the longer load, after longer load times, just blew it. So... That's what happens. This is just stuff you know from experience. And then when the motor dies, what are you going to do? There's like remagnetizing the motor. That's an impossible process, I think, for the old machines. I don't know even Nagra in Switzerland. I mean, they still they're still active. If they're still doing stuff like that, remagnetizing a motor that has become slow. They so. just, just tried to show you a digital new uh, one. <laughs> Ah, they're digital yeah. Nagra. Oh, those are yeah. these days look like nightmare machines. Yeah, straight from Cthulhu. Same as you go to with uh, for service uh, to Brunenkjaer for old stuff. They just want to sell <laughs> yeah. you new stuff. You know all about oh. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do uh, now? <laughs> oh, there yes, we go. Yeah, 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 I knew. Yeah. I knew he was gonna demo something. Yeah. Demo time. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I saw you guys were vaping, so I had to bring my vaporizer. Uh, no, so so this is like the Brilliant Care Sound Level Meter two two zero four, which is an amazing microphone in itself. And DPA um, Brilliant Care realized it and made uh, the DPA range of microphones uh, later on because they realized how good this thing sounds. But uh, yeah, I got this for a hundred bucks on eBay. But wow. the microphone up here was shot. So it looks like a asked, weapon. It's like this is it's a you huge can it. Pass for, <laughs> yeah, like this part, this lower part, you can detach, and this fell on my head. That was really painful. Oh, but, oh don't uh, take filter. Yeah. Poor yeah, filter. So this baby-sized instrument, um, yeah, is uh, it's actually fantastic. It's a fantastic microphone, and they realized it when they did a choir record, like a string. Like a string, or like an orchestra recording with two of these, <laughs> because, it, like, uh, you know, like two of these spaced and it sounded great. And just a year later, they did the, they realized uh, they can make, uh, yeah, microphones out of these. But I asked them, ah, the microphone part is shot. Can I have that, like, the, just the capsule? Can I have that reskinned? And they quoted me, <laughs> like, uh, 2,700 euros to have. The microphone capsule uh, reskinned, and I was like, well, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. I found one for 150 bucks on eBay that worked absolutely fine, and yeah, I don't know why I've got four of these now, but <laughs> amazing microphones. So, but they, they, so they, people, they're not relating. So people don't try to break into uh, Heinbach's house because he'll come after you with that and uh, and smash yeah. your brain. Yeah. <laughs> it is a weapon. The Zorlon. Canon. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Too heavy. Yeah, I got two by shelf. <laughs> Great color too, that color. Uh, duck green. There's yeah. confusing stories like where, like Dennis, you said it was the only color. What, what's what's how, the color? How did that come well, about? After the war, there was uh, the typical color available, you know, because the uh -huh. army used it and stuff, the green. Mm -hmm. 
So that was, uh, yeah, the cheapest color they could use. Is That's this why also why all the tiles in the Berlin subway stations are that color? <laughs> Maybe, I don't, know. I don't know. I heard another story, like from one guy who, like, he put it like in the comments to actually this video, and he said he worked at Berlin Care like in the 60s, and he mm -hmm. said, I don't remember right now if it was uh, Brühl or Kier who was actually colorblind. And he liked that color. So a colorblind person liked that color. I think that's... Uh, he liked the price. That's, that's it. <laughs> With all things yeah. industrial. Yeah. But yeah. Let me, can, can I touch on one point that I don't think I've touched upon yet in, in general? It's like, sure. isn't it curious how many of these companies are like two guys? So it's yeah. Brühl and Kier. Rode and Schwarz, Schwarz genau. Hewlett and Packard, Krohn uh, yeah, yeah. and Hyde. Um, yeah. It's a lot of these like two guys making, uh, yeah, making all. It's these probably things. one. The one guy was building them in the garage, and the other one was trying to make a business out of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely, stuff like so that. That's gone out of fashion, right? That has gone out of fashion, like this two guys business or like two, two, like to name your business like that, unless you're like, I don't know, a law firm or something. See, you know. I don't know. Yeah. We should mm. call our project something like that, Albert. It's oh. <laughs> <laughs> a funny idea. <laughs> yeah, Dennis no, and no. me, we got a project that we still need to release that's called yep. High and Money. Yeah. Got oh, two that's quite close. Tracks. Yeah, quite just close. because he's always high and I'm just for the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, uh, that, you, you, yeah I, I, Dennis played me some of that stuff, so it, um, mm. it sounds good. It's abstract. Mm. You made it in uh, in uh, Wave Four Research Center, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Didn't did you finish everything there? Mm, no. No, mixed it at home. But I think for some for one track we took the original mix that Dennis just did like off the cuff because right. Dennis runs this Paris system that actually sounds really good like mm -hmm. especially yeah. the way Dennis writes it like all in the red like <laughs> sounds really good really good it's really yeah. special it's its own sound it's hard to replicate like in uh, yeah. when I do it in Able when I mix in Ableton it doesn't sound like that yeah, mm. yeah that's one thing I learned with with uh, doing uh, so many col collaborations here in this room when by the time somebody leaves i want everything to be sorted you know mixed edited finished <laughs> because otherwise you just spend months and months emailing stuff up and down and just making refinements and changes and it takes forever i mean you know the fun thing is in in making collaborations is of course the the interaction between the collaborators but um if you do a lot of them it's um i've learned that uh a lot of time can be saved by just, um, you know, uh, doing the, the sort of the fun things and the, the improvising and the uh, the tinkering on uh, on one day and then try to form it into something coherent and finished uh, the next, you know. So by the time you split ways, it's uh, it's done and, and over with. So the only thing you basically can discuss is the order in which it should appear on the release or whatever. But um we kind of did. We didn't have the time, <laughs> Albert and I, to to get all of that done in um, uh, in our Will and Face studio session. But um, normally, it's nice I, to at least not have the multi-track, so you just yeah, have yeah, the stereo we, file that you need to work with. 
Exactly. So yeah. in a way, it, it, in a way, it was finished. It just needed to be top and tailed, but the, nothing changed in the composition. Maybe just a tiny edit here and there, but nothing radical or no multi-tracking. It was just um, yeah, recording was what it was. So in, in that sense, it it came together quite quickly. We didn't spend too much time after that because we also did that in person, right? So. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that too, but not not crazy EQing, just yeah, some aesthetic touches. Yeah, just optimizing, I guess, because um, yeah, one thing about Vinod is that it's it's a it's a wonderful room to work, but um, when you hear it back in the studio, it's uh, let's say it was slightly different in my imagination. <laughs> it's not a critique, but it's a, it's a thing that you have to kind of work if you're in an environment where you don't know the. Yeah. The sound, you know, the replication and the, the monitors and stuff. So, but uh, you always get that a little bit. But at Willem II, it was uh, very apparent that it it was um, like a live diff- recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, <coughs> I always say it yeah, like anyway. always say a live recording is like a coke, like a bottle of coke. The day after, it's still coke, but you know, the bubbles are gone. Oh, or something. Oh, oh, yeah. Lovely. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah, but I know what you mean because the room has a good sound to it. It sounds yeah. very alive. Yeah. Mm. But it's like, unless you have like live microphones, it's hard to translate that. So it's yeah. it, it sounds so good in the room. I had so much fun in that room. But then listen to the track and that's okay. So now I have to add that atmosphere again. Exactly, that's, because it it, sa- yeah. it sounds more spacious. You think it sounds really yeah. spacious, spacious and wide, and 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 then when you hear it back, it's actually quite more compact and and tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's um it's something that they could improve, but I don't know if it, it might actually change the the magic of the of the reproduction in that room, though. You never know. But we had some we had some uh, we introduced some some of that liveliness with uh, effects uh, afterwards. So. But anyway, um, I think the easy way is just to have like a spread pair of like microphones, you know, somewhere. and actually just record the actually, room itself. Yeah, rec- or record this, like because it does sounds. I think it it has a very good sound. Just mm-hmm. feels. Yeah, the acoustics are good. It, it feels so tuned, but it feels like something like that's one thing about that room. I think like if we if there was a cello player there and you had with the speakers like playing the test equipment stuff and then recorded that too, it would sound good. You know, it would really sound good. So I think, yeah, to have the room recording, that could be a good good idea. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's a great it's, idea. It's definitely a great um, idea. I mean, I've got always mics running here. So I try to get all my electronics acoustic. So I use amps. I run in through small amps, big amps. And so I'm basically doing the same thing that the composers did in the 30s, 40s since ever electronic music came about to find a way to make these sounds less from a loudspeaker but more acoustic i've got these i've got a gong speaker for example that is a gong that's excited so it goes ding 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 ding, and i can play the piano and have my modular play that gong and have a small russian speaker behind it so i can play the synthesizers through that and record all that it's all mic'd and just to give the electronic the pleasure of having been once in the air and then captured. Mm. It makes everything sit so much easier. It makes it so much more alive. And it's uh, such a worthy process that I'm personally often, like, I regret not doing it all the time because a direct line signal is so easy and so much fun to tweak. 
but if I took the time to record it, to have everything, to have even more stuff through amps, through weird speakers, through all these things, I think the results would be more natural, maybe. So, so how do you go about that technically then? Um, do you just uh, record all those sources separately and then uh, mix them afterwards, or is everything you do one take? All in and the room. Take one take, yeah. all in the room. All it goes all to a Telefunken tape machine, and uh, yeah, usually it's just there. And okay, but do how do you how do you judge then uh, your final signal? Uh, because if some if you if you've got speakers playing everywhere, and and amps and stuff going on, then it could sound fantastic in the room, but the recording might actually be very <laughs> uneventful. <laughs> I can do head headphones. Oh, course. right. Okay. okay. I can so always you... go ahead for headphones and see what sounds there. So I've got right. different, I've got, I've got the big ass fancy ones for like doing like critical mix stuff. And then I've got these one for tracking. So switching between those. And of course I got the horror tone, the horror tone speaker. That small, tiny one. So every one. time at some point, yeah, the single mono speaker, I'm just like, mm. okay, so now this is, this needs work. And then, mm -hmm. and once I go back to speaker, it's, oh, okay, it's better. It's like the, the, the single thing that made all my mixes better is the Aura tone through a crown preamp. Uh, uh, that was the best purchase I ever made. Yeah. It's an interesting technique, I think, in general. Uh, I just did some workshops with a few guys that made a, um, a long live soundscape and I told them it might be nice to go to a big open space and record the same thing and have the natural reverb and then blend those signals together. And I think in the end uh, it's coming together really nicely, uh, blending that really wet signal and the dry signal which is also processed. Uh, but I think it really fitted the sound and it's a very nice technique to to have this um, acoustic element to something to electronic music i guess yeah it works like crazy i mean when when uh when i first came into this building there a lot of rooms were still empty or you know there was less stuff in there let's say it like that and um uh for a while i ran uh speakers into the airlocks of the bunker and into the hallway and stuff like that and have a mic on the other end of the room and because it's all concrete and it's, they're quite big spaces here. Um, by just moving these things around, the speakers and the mics, you can you can get all kinds of resonances and and uh, uh, sort of side effects by playing sources into that room and then micing them back into the into the into the studio. And um, you know, it makes your sound sources take on a completely different life. You know, because you get this sort of natural reverb of of, uh, of an actual space. There's no way to recreate that in, in I mean, there are like uh, impulse response type um, convolution reverbs, but having an actual mic and an actual room is, is still um, a lot different, you know? Yeah, totally. I've, I've seen so many nice places while traveling. In Croatia uh, once on an island, they had a, a bunker into the island for a submarine in it. It does a really awesome acoustics. Or in Iran, in an underground city, they had a water tank. It also had a great reverb sound. Did you record yeah. anything there? No, just with a microphone on uh, my yeah, telephone, yeah, okay. you know, uh, and yeah. There's a company, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the company, but it's selling famous reverbs. So they record, mm. I think it's a great idea for a company. They record the famous 
buildings, reverbs of famous buildings that you can recreate in a plugin. So when you when you do a movie and you have to do a scene in that space, you use the reverb of yeah the actual space that they recorded the reverb from. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. But it's fun to uh, to um, to have your mic hanging from the ceiling and sort of slowly rock as a pendulum, you know, picking up the speaker at each rotation and stuff like that. Building constructions like that is uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good guys. What else? Let's see what's going on in the comments. Anybody uh, still here listening to our mumblings and uh, nerd outs? Yeah. Let's see if there's anything. Best mumblings. Thanks, uh, Cedric. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, maybe you can talk about uh, favorite instruments or something. Yeah, or tell me what. what, uh, Okay, you you built this uh, matrix, but you also have two mixers and stuff now installed in your studio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, new setup will be uh, a small Sony desk with uh, uh, controllable VCAs on the eight channels. The idea to have a brutal guy I wanted octave bumper fields uh, pads through on uh, the output pads on it, so you got some kind of an EQ kind of thing, filter bank you can control and pan them. And then there's the other small Sony desk with direct outputs, which has uh, eight aux amps, so you can. Uh, process signal and uh, returns you can put on the channels who have the direct outputs and put them into the computer separate. And that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. what I noticed in working in your studio before. Um, you know, yeah. we did some quick things. We never really did an entire project, but oh. uh, you really need you to be there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to yeah. Uh, to get anything anything out of it because it's uh, for people who've never worked with this stuff it's uh, quite yeah. daunting but now you have these mixers you can basically make a patch and people everybody knows how a mixer works you know yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. just um, basically try uh, things out and and see where you get yeah, bring your with, laptop without forward. having to make the patches yourself yeah, and, yeah. <clears throat> that's cool uh, I'll definitely have a another visit when it's all done yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, guys. Uh, okay, there's everybody's spotting uh, Heimbach's wine. Let's say again what it is because people want to know. It is a Moosmann <laughs> from Buchholz Baden Spätburgunder <laughs> Rotwein. You can order this at Moosmann. Uh, I don't, they, they, they're, they're, they're classy enough to not put their website on here, <laughs> but so it's a really nice summery wine. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. Okay, well, what uh, we, we're nearing uh, uh, two hours. What I usually do uh, at the end of this thing is give everybody a round of uh, plug time. So maybe oh. if everybody can think of the things they've got coming out or want to plug something, um, this is the time to promote yourself. And uh, um, who's first? Ini, mini, mini, mo. Albert. Tell me, tell us. Um, I'm going to do a residency at Extrapol next week. Uh, uh, Extrapol is a um, sound space. They Hello. do performances in Nijmegen. Oh, and they also have a graphic design studio and a print workshop. 
And they have snare instruments by Yuri Landman, and I'll record, oh, yeah. I'll record those. And I will do it remotely with a painter from Stockholm that I'm gonna be collaborating, co collaborating with. He's called David von Baar, and he paints with um, broken spray cans. So he, um, yeah, he breaks them open, so all the paint shoots out, and he <laughs> paints like that. Very aggressive. Uh, like Dangerous. avant uh, <laughs> avant graffiti uh, artists yeah i'm gonna do a few projects with him and this is one the also the first time he's gonna uh properly work with audio so that's interesting too i think and of course we um yeah we i guess we just finished the album um jochem i don't know if it's if we settled on the final final um order and and tracks but i think we're i guess 99%. so i think it's there, yeah. yeah it's there it's almost there yeah i think it's it's pretty much there yeah for sure just one last look on um and then we should be done yeah but tell me how can you work with a painter from a distance how does that work what does yeah, it look like i mean he was supposed it's a it's a corona story again so right right uh, I'm gonna the music we're gonna do remote, so I'm gonna record and we're gonna um, probably use Dropbox or in some sort of sharing platform to send files up and down. Uh, okay, so uh, it's nine not, a, it's not a performance. It's a uh, it's something that takes place um, during some time, and then the result will be presented as you know after the sessions or something. Uh, yeah, combination because he will still come to the Netherlands in April because I want want to record the sounds of these spray cans and then do a mm. live sort of noise performance while he does an action painting. So they're they're done in four or five minutes and I'll do a short sound performance together. Oh, cool! Yeah, sounds great. Okay, and Dennis, you got something coming up you want to share with the world? Um, yeah, I got, uh, I got a new IP ready, need to find the label for it. And uh, yeah, lots of work on the studio, I want to get the studio uh, in the backup improved. And uh, yeah, then people can come over, rent it, residency, whatever. And uh, yeah, I hope it's going to be, uh, yeah, work like that, like I said, automated with the matrixes and the two mixing desk corners with all the filters and analyzers. So how yeah, do people sure. contact you when they want to rent your studio? Yeah, mondelo.gmail.com. Okay. Easy. Okay. Yeah. So you are the guy with that address. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Such yeah. a great story. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and and uh, we should mention our EP on, uh, on store, two EPs. Yeah. 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 So it's already sold out. So uh, yeah. too bad for people who, uh, who are interested in uh, <laughs> buying it. But you can still listen to it. They're all on YouTube and on SoundCloud. SoundCloud yes. So. Everybody wants to check that and out. And also, yeah, January, maybe seven inch comes out. Some short material. <clears throat> but, yeah, let's see. No label yet? Yeah, I have a label for it. But we have to uh, pick the right material. Okay, so you, yeah. can't, you can't talk about it yet. So okay. No, 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 no. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, and Heimbach, anything we should uh, know about your um, adventures? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff. So I had to delay my follow-up to Impulse Generator which because corona reasons because shipping issues with vinyl it was just a mess so that will be delayed until next year but i got another thing coming which i can't talk about it will be vinyl again and uh 
I'm not going to even name the collaboration part because then people would think it's going to be something else. But uh, yeah, so music is coming out. The next music that I'm releasing will be in January, 6th of January. There will be a new single out and it will be made with the landfill totems. And it's oh, it's nice. one of the most experimental um, LPs that I've ever done because it's also very dark. <laughs> it's super dark. I had a lot of run. Uh, this year I tried to stay positive. So I made very positive albums. I made my album Assertion. And that was right at the start of this whole thing. And I tried to uh, to go against the feeling of just wanting to sit down and make dark drones all day. <laughs> and I tried to go to a place that's happy. So that was Assertion. And that's still available on Bleep and everywhere. And Light Splitting, my record with Sire Records, which already has test equipment in an ambient context, which is something that was very interesting to me to try, to use these things not for this powerful music, but something that's softer and more, uh, yeah, more quiet. Just a single, single filter being turned. So that's all out. But I've been doing some plugins now, that's a so I've got so uh, I'm selling these plugs, and right now I've got something that takes tape to yeah basically your iPhone and your iPad. It's called Gauss Field Looper. It's made together with a Bram Boss, and this is a looper sampler field recorder with a sequencer and effects, and it's mm. something that you can just use to record stuff while you're walking around in the kitchen. Oh. That's awesome. And then make it immediately music because I don't know how you guys are, but I have got a whole phone and field recorders full of stuff that I never use. And <laughs> That's a good point. That's, def that's definitely a, a good point. Feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt so guilty about all these beautiful recordings that I never use. So I wanted something, okay, immediately did record it. Nice. My mother playing like the piano for my birthday. So record it and then. Okay, so now this is uh, something I can morph in here. I can half speed, play backwards, play it slow, do all these kind of beautiful things to that, and then use it. And then either like I can I can share that loop with other people from here immediately. Everybody who's Gauss can can use that, and then I can also use it in Aum, which is the most uh, yeah the most fun workspace to make iOS music, and you can sync it up with all your other gear, make it rhythmic even. And this is basically a mixture of yeah my guilty conscience for not using all the field recordings that I've done and my live patch that I've played for the past four years on my Seat Lombard equipment rolled into one and uh, made actually good and fun by Brambos. So this is on the App Store and yeah you can buy it for €7.99, I think. And Apple changed their policies, so we're getting actually... A bit more now, not because they changed their cuts to 15% only instead of 30%. I wish they'd done that a month sooner <laughs> <laughs> because you don't make a lot of money in apps, even though this was like uh, at the one spot, pl place one for music apps for like three days. This is not something that apps don't make you a lot of money, but it's something that's just a hard project. Like and music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like moderately successful music. So that's about the thing that you're getting out of that. But, um, and then, then I also did another plugin. I don't know how to show share, but it's a one of the, another thing, I've got a wire recorder here, which is something that I discovered at Wouter van Veldhofen's place, amazing artist. And yeah. uh, he uses a, Russian wire recorders in his music and that was so cool that I had to have one 
and I turned that Russian wire record into a plugin that you can use in your VST audio units and even in Pro Tools and get a, the sound of number stations in your digital audio workstation. Which is are, aren't these wire weird. recorders? Are, aren't these? Aren't these they the devices they use to uh, make voice memos on and stuff like that? This is the stuff that you know, like uh, this. This is called what's that series called? The Wire. That's mm -hmm. named after a wire recorder. It's not right. It's the, because wearing a wire means wearing an actual wire recorder. It's right. not like recording the telephone line. So that's where that comes from. Mm. And uh, it is used like this unit, especially is used only by the was used in the Cold War only by the KGB and the Red Army and all the armies of the sister states. Like I got one from the National Volksarmee or the Stasi. I don't know. The, the recordings on there are inconclusive. You can still hear some men from Saxony talking out. Die Ziele werden nicht verfolgt, wenn sie autark arbeiten. <laughs> so this is. And if you found that Easter egg in that plugin, you, it's very good. So these are the things that I have right now for sale. And next year there's going to be yeah a bunch more new music, and that's going to be dark and heavy and full of test equipment. <laughs> I had the higher money here, of course. Yeah, we gotta finish that. That's something yes, we need to finish. Yeah, yeah. do it. It's so do hard it. to do that though. Like, like uh, unless Dennis like reroutes the studio now, so I can be like, I'm gonna play this from here. Da, da, da. No, but that's the thing. Like, it's it's like very, yeah. it was such a such a visceral experience to work in that small space together while drinking amazing beer and just <laughs> plugging things. So yeah, it, it's hard to to do that like wire uh exchange of files yeah exactly that's that, that's what i just talked about yeah it's yeah. A, it's a it's a nightmare but i mean at least you were together and had fun you know that's uh, that's because of only good tracks yeah yeah cool uh thanks that's a good idea by the way uh Heinbach, about uh using your found sounds Im Im immediately because i i i'm too familiar with uh um, the situation where I record shitloads of stuff on my phone or my my portable recorder, and then I never end up using it. <laughs> you now know, I've got the solution. Uh, yeah, so many times when I've sat out there, you know, with with my my field recorder, you know, thinking, oh, this is so beautiful, <laughs> this is so amazing, but still, you know, I I rarely rarely use it, uh, or I use it in a completely different context, just to have some noise in the background or something instead of enjoying the beautiful recording for what it yeah. is mm -hmm. anyway cool so i think i'm just gonna use this time then to promote the store hoodies yes they're finally here people and they're um they're a collaboration with um thijs from tegendraad he's an embroidery artist here in in rotterdam and we've done uh two types of hoodie one is a small white logo on black that's the one i'm wearing now it's embroidered and then we have one with a, a really big black on black, jet black on black. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a really classy looking one. And it'll be available soon, maybe even tonight. I don't know. But um, you'll find out if you keep an eye on our socials. Um, so, yeah, we've been asked about hoodies. So this is the time. And if you can be on time for the holidays because we, we're doing them made to order as a, as a pre-order until... Um, I think the order closes at uh, 12th of December, so you have to be quick. Um, 
And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, join our Discord. Jo Discord is, uh, is becoming a really fun place uh, if you want to continue the nerdy talks as we have today with uh, a thousand other nerd heads um, talking about uh, music gear, process equipment, uh, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, that's the place to do it. And uh, I also encourage you to take a look at our Patreon page. Uh, Sunday will put everything in the in the comments, uh, post there, all the links, so you can find it easily. Uh, Patreon page has uh, just a simple way to support us if you like this uh, this podcast, or if you want to go into the higher tiers, you can get uh, sound packs or even masterclasses and exclusive footage from backstage and sound checks here in the lab and stuff like that. So um, um, if you're interested in in that, have a look there and. Um, I think that sums it up, people. Two hours of nerd talk again. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> oh, yes. So thanks, Heimbach, for joining us. It was really nice talking to you. Uh, amazing you stories. Great, great stories. Great uh, insights. And uh, Albert, good to see you, man. We should, uh, we should uh, draw the line very soon on that album and, uh, and get it out into the world. Yeah. And uh, it's great to have you. And Dennis, gast, box. <laughs> yeah, try that uh, online. Eh? That's only possible um, like this. So, and thanks to the people who joined us from um, YouTube and Twitch. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, see you next week. Same time, same place. Ciao, ciao. Bye, everybody. <laughs>